Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. Welcome to State of the Franchise, the podcast that talks about franchises of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, genres, and types. I am one of your hosts, Tom Stadler, here with my fellow host, as usual, the captain himself, the director of this uh, this team that we have here, Mr. Fred Dakin. On your Fred left. Heights. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally on my left right now <laughs> as we are as we are recording uh out out of the stewed this week uh been going through a bout of sickness inside and out of a couple different households so we're definitely we're, we're being safe yeah well there's probably another universe where we didn't both get sick the same week and we were recording in person but that'll have to be you know worked out in a different episode a different world that's true fred I, I was telling you before, I don't feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, uh, including keeping safe, that's exactly what we're talking about this week. We're talking about the fictional characters that keep our world safe. That is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, better known as the MCU, uh, which if you are not familiar with Marvel by now, uh, is a, a comic book uh, publisher that... Uh, publisher you know that's the official <laughs> word but a, a comic book publisher that has published many noble properties including the x-men spider-man the avengers captain america as namely among them and iron man and uh returning to the show to talk to us about the mcu as we do a little twist on our normal format it's mr vince figuero welcome back vince hey hey guys uh, listeners at home, Tom sounds normal, and then he gets on the mic to start recording the show, and it's just this ASMR Tom that he dials up, and it, and it sounds amazing. I love it. I love every minute of it. Don't I have to hear about all the time how good his voice sounds, and I sound like this. <laughs> Brett, you sound wonderful, but Vince sounds crisp. Vince, you have like a voice made for radio. Has anyone ever told you that? I I've heard it, and I did do radio for a while, actually. You did, yeah. I was a I was a producer here in town. I did commercials, so yeah, I put those uh, vocal talents to use. But the, here's the thing about the radio industry: it's a dying one. So, yes. <laughs> yikes! <laughs> Wait, what commercials did you do? Oh, I I worked at uh, well in college. I worked at the college campus station in good old Stevens Point. Uh, home of nice. the world's largest trivia contest on WWSP. Uh, and then I had an internship with uh, NPR out of Wausau. And then I worked at a talk station here in Milwaukee for a number of years. Wow. That is quite the journey. <laughs> Don't sound too good now, do you, Tom? <laughs> no, I'm definitely like, I, I'm not worthy. <laughs> You're plenty worthy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, no, it's great to have you back on the show, Vince. Uh, for those who remember Vince from the Doctor Who episode we did, um, which a lot of great information that dropped in there, but a whole different type of fandom this week, Vince. And uh, I guess first we can kind of start with where did you first encounter, well, I guess the MCU, but maybe Marvel Comics in general? I got my start with Marvel um, with some of the X-Men comics. 
It okay. was uh, a fun get. So I just kind of a grab bag of X-Men and uh, X-Factor, I believe, were the comic titles. And then I got into that was also when I was uh, a budding youth on Fox in the mornings. They had the X-Men cartoon, which was amazing. If you know that theme, you, you're with me. Uh, and then the <laughs> Spider-Man cartoon was also airing around the same time. Those were those were big influences for me. Uh, but I didn't really stay with the comics. I was more on the uh, multimedia side of the industry uh, with games uh, that were really immersed in the lore of the comics. So I, I got a good feed of it there. Um, and then back in 2008, everyone was raving about the dark Knight, but I was there for Iron Man when that released. And then uh, just on board for every MCU movie that came thereafter. And there's less than a handful of MCU movies that I did not go see opening night. Uh, oh, wow. when Ant-Man released, I was at a wedding. We left the oh. wedding early to go see Ant-Man and it was well <laughs> worth it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah, it was good. Uh, my wife was along with me. My wife is not a big MCU fan, but she's seen some of the movies with me and she kept on turning to me like, when is he going to say the line? Because in the commercials for Ant-Man, the original one, it was, uh, the big thing. The big line was, uh, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And he doesn't say that till the end of the movie and she loved it, but she had to wait too long to get to it. <laughs> was it somebody you were close to at the wedding or is it somebody you really didn't care about as much? Uh, close ish no i guess i guess no no the answer to your question is no so it's forgivable it's not like they're gonna remember that you left to go see ant-man <laughs> oh yeah on your wedding day you're so busy i, I think we just said oh we we, we gotta go it, it was a it was a bit of a drive to get there and we were not staying in the area we we're driving back to milwaukee so like oh we should probably get on the road like now thanks for having us <laughs> they probably you knew what? what was up though because you probably had an ant-man shirt on or something right? I, I, I did i did and then we did uh, a bunch we did a live stream during the movie too so yeah <laughs> cat was out of the bag <laughs> they're like looking at your instagram you're just like at the premiere <laughs> <laughs> amazing well, that's pretty awesome, though, and uh, I definitely feel you on the animated shows from back in the day because those were definitely a, a great entry point for, I feel like, anybody who was a kid at that time. What about you, Fred, though? Do you have a recollection of where you first encountered Marvel along your journey? Um, I have probably never read a comic book in my life. I was definitely more on the multimedia side, the cartoons when I could catch like the X-Men or the Spider-Man cartoons. But mm -hmm. I was also of an age where I was 11 when the Raimi Spider-Man came out and the X-Men movies were coming out. So like that is I definitely my touchstone for MCU or just Marvel are movies and video games. And that's where I always attack like my uh, my interest and my criticism about the content, it always is from the standpoint of like a movie person versus a comic book person because I just don't know the deep lore. I'm learning I'm not a comic book guy. I do enjoy them, but I'm a Batman guy. Like I love Batman. I have read Batman graphic novels and stuff yeah. like that. Like I've read like all most of those. But and I'm a kind of a Spider-Man guy, but without getting into it, there's kind of an oversaturation of Spider-Man that 
has gotten fixed and things have been better, but it's definitely been, it doesn't hit quite as much like Batman does, which there has been a lot of Batman, but I don't know. That's the one that stays with me. But Marvel, like I've seen most, I've seen probably half in theaters, but I've been a little checked out of recent. Yeah. And certainly can't blame you for that. I think there's definitely the real feeling of comic book movie or even superhero movie fatigue a little bit. Which is too bad because I feel like some of the recent installments uh, in both like Marvel and DC have been pretty inspired and they've been a little different than what they've done recently. But I think just the, the, the mash of all the content that's coming out and all the streaming service shows, I think, too, it's just it, it's hard not to feel a little underwater with some of those things. But certainly I feel you on that. But. It's it's still like, I don't know, you think about what a gigantic entity Marvel on its in itself is. Like, I think when you look at their their total amount of movies and shows they've made, it's like exceeding somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 different properties, which is kind of insane. <laughs> right. It's like how they used to do those. Uh, anytime a new one came out, they would do those marathons. And it's like they can't even do those anymore. They have to like pick a couple of them because it's like we can't do it like people will die in the theaters yeah you need a full week to get through every single marvel movie now um, there's a wait what over 30 feature films in the mcu correct we are bananas we are now officially at 33 movies with the release of the marvels recently now uh, which i know you're a big fan vince <laughs> Oh, yeah, big fan. And yeah, controversy around that. Well, I suppose controversy. Uh, it's not doing well at the box office and you haven't seen it yet. Go see it. It is really, really good. It is definitely one of the more fun MCU movies out there. So like, if you liked, you know, like the Guardians movies, which are more on the fun side or Thor Ragnarok was definitely on the fun side of MCU. Marvel's is totally on the fun side of it. Yeah. Took the whole family. My son loved it. My daughter loved it. My wife, again, my wife does not see a lot of MCU movies. She enjoyed it. She was not lost in the lore. Again, 33 movies in, she stuck with it. Although uh, she did turn to me at the end of the movie and she asked, who was Brie Larson? She was, <laughs> she was Captain Marvel. You, mm-hmm. The one from Community, right? You're thinking of Alison Brie. <laughs> and there was an episode of Community that did have both Allison and Brie in it. Different people. True. That is true. Um, and I, I feel like Brie Larson is just kind of in the, the zeitgeist right now, too, because that Scott Pilgrim show just dropped on Friday, which had the entire cast come back and voice their characters for this animated show. And it's just like, it's funny to hear her in comparison to her, like the movie, the Marvels. And she just sounds so different because she's doing kind of that like serious baby doll talk like, the whole time. <laughs> uh, but, but Fred, I want to ask you real quick, uh, Fred, you said that you read some of the dark Knight uh, graphic novels, which I, I would give credit. Those are comics. Uh, but, but Tom, have you, are you a comic book reader or have you been? I was in the past, yeah, I used to have a subscription to Marvel Comics once upon a time. And I remember I got this like intro pack at one point. So I got like an issue of like X-Men, like it was the Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, um, 
like a whole like smatter of stuff. I got like Namor and I got um, something else. And I was like, what had ever happened to all those comics? Because my mom got rid of all my comics. Well, my dad being kind of the weirdo he is, he would always just like pile stuff away. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like being over at their house. Like this was like a couple of years ago. And I was like trying to find uh, something for my nephew. Like he was like hiding stuff all over the house. And I was like, okay, I'll go see if I can find your toy that you hid because <laughs> you're a little <laughs> goober. You don't remember where you put it. And I found this basket with these old magazines and I was like going through it. And at the bottom of this magazine pile were all these comics that I got like back in 1993 or 94. <laughs> and they're just like pristine because they've just been sitting in this basket for almost like 25 years. <laughs> and it was just wild. Uh, so I like I brought them home and now I have them all on my shelf. So I have all these comics that I read like back when I was seven or six. And it's just kind of wonderful to have them here again. That's amazing. That's that's a yeah. great find. That's awesome. Yeah, it's I mean, I don't know that any of them are worth anything. I don't think I would give them up for anything either. I think there's just too much good sentimentality there. But um, but yeah, I think I didn't continue my subscription. I, I realized I wasn't a v- avid comic book reader. I have found the graphic novels recently that Fred brought up the Dark Knight like uh, graphic novels. And so I've done a lot more digital reading recently. And I read a whole bunch of the X-Men. I think I read like everything up to the year 2000 from like issue one. So I'm pretty well versed in that, but uh, obviously the MCU doesn't involve many of the X Men at all. Not yet, uh, unless you want to, unless you want to count Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. But we can get into that. <laughs> He's fast. She's weird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I remember. But that's true. That is it. Um, I'm excited though because yeah, that that X Men animated show is coming back too. So I'm kind of excited that we're gonna have a reiteration of this nostalgia trip that we had from the '90s. It's just like they're bringing it all back for us. Yeah, I, I've been rewatching but, that original animated series because it is on Disney Plus. It's fun to get back into it, and the that when that music hits, it just takes you back to Saturday mornings. And yeah, it I'd say by and large the show still holds up. Oh, I bet. And that 90s art, I think that's really what's great as the the character designs in the 90s are just like iconic and they had the video games that they like modeled them all after. But we're not here to talk about the X-Men, guys. We're here to talk about the MCU. And because the MCU is such a large entity, we, what we're going to do today, uh, after we do a little bit of a history lesson here, is we're going to do a draft of the MCU and pick all of our favorite things. And we have some set categories that we'll get into in a bit, but uh, to understand what the MCU, why it's such a, a, a large touchstone in, in today's culture, I think we have to kind of go back maybe about 20 years ago, if you guys are willing to take a trip with me. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, I'm willing. I didn't know. I thought that was a rhetorical question. Oh, I no. I I saw the the Wayne's World like diddle like the waving <laughs> hands, <laughs> and I I was kind of waiting for the vocal cue, but it. Didn't <laughs> so, the uh, the MCU or as Marvel as it was just itself, Marvel studios began planning to produce and distribute their own movies back in 2005 uh they had made little profit out of the licensing deals they had with other studios which included the raimi 
the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, the Brian Singer X-Men movies, and Blade. So they had partial producer credit on that, but they got very little of the profits because they essentially sold these properties to all these other companies, New Line Cinemas, uh, 20th Century Fox, and uh, Columbia Pictures. So in turn, they decided at this point in 2005 that they wanted to get more creative control, but also get a better slice of the pie on these movies. So a, a little-known individual by the name of Avi Arad uh, was head of Marvel Entertainment at the time and decided to actually create a studio that was independent of itself called Marvel Studios to both distribute and create Marvel movies. So uh, Kevin Feige, who I don't know if we know, is it, we have a confirmed his last name's pronounced Feige, correct? That's the only way I've ever I heard think. it pronounced. Right. Okay. Because like, uh, make me like a Fiji or something like that. Yeah, or like Fage. I don't know. You hear those weird Fage, <laughs> Fage, the Fage. When we get Blade Fage. <laughs> so, Kevin Feige, who was the second in command to Arad at the time, pitched the idea of a shared universe, having been a huge fan of Marvel comics growing up, and that was kind of the the whole spirit of Marvel comics was that they would have these big crossover events and there is a shared universe where, you know, the Hulk could go into Spider-Man comics or Wolverine could go into Captain America comics, whatever it would need to be. And Avi Arad kind of doubted this plan would work and really kind of decided he wanted to just continue to run more movies through his own production company. So he branched off by resigning in 2007 to create uh, Arad Pictures and essentially became the Sony man that we know him today to be. He's pretty much produced every single Spider-Man movie that you guys have heard of ever since that time. In fact, I think he has a producer credit on every single Spider-Man movie there is. But Kevin Feige, who was only 33 at that time, became the head of Marvel Studios in 2007 and decided to move forward with the plan to <laughs> create his shared universe. Fred, you have a look that reminds me of when I was really upset with Ari Aster. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those moments for sure. <laughs> about my age when he took over Marvel, about that age. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Cool, 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 cool. Honestly, it's it's kind of just, I don't know, a little, I guess, humbling to be in your 30s and seeing what other people were accomplishing at the same point of their life. Welcome to the Sad Man Podcast. <laughs> yeah, the Sad Men in Their 30s podcast at Older. <laughs> so he referred to his idea as the Marvel Cinema Universe, but later began using the more, uh, I guess, ro rolls off the tongue a little bit better, the cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. Add the tickets cleaner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the MCU was essentially born then in, in 2007. And in 2008, on May 2nd, their first film, Iron Man, was released as the first film in Phase 1 of the MCU. So it was directed by Jon Favreau and starred Robert Downey Jr., grossed over $585 million worldwide off a budget of $140 million, and earned two Academy Award nominations. Which That's supporting all... actor Jeff Bridges. 
<laughs> he should have. Tony that's, Stark that's... built that in a cave <laughs> with a pile of scraps. <laughs> yeah, just laying in bed taking that video call with his chest open should have gave him that Oscar, I think. <laughs> I think he got the people's choice for that, though, didn't he? <laughs> I hope so. I hope he did, too. I kind of want to look that up. So the movie was followed by the release of The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America, which then ultimately led to the big crossover film that Feige dreamed of, which was The Avengers, directed by a very popular person even now, Joss Whedon. <laughs> Sorry. I, I You just find out how crappy people are later in life, right? Like, you never, never meet your heroes. <laughs> but... Uh, co-starring the series regulars, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, and Jeremy Renner. The movie was released on May 4th, 2012, stuck it to Star Wars by earning $1.5 billion at the box office off a budget of $225 million, which was a smash success for Marvel. Uh, and as we mentioned today, Marvel Studios has produced and released 33 total films with at least 11 more currently in various stages of development and has 21 affiliated TV series that have been produced. It is the highest growing film franchise of all time, having grossed over $29.7 billion at the global box office, which includes Avengers Endgame, which became at that time the highest grossing film of all time, making $2.8 billion on its release. Wow. And that's the Pretty. one. There's that like meme going around of that an, at WWF announcer like cry reacting to everything. I uh -huh. think when like my kids asked Dad what was going to Endgame like, I'm gonna be doing the. <laughs> it, it was special. <laughs> I mean, Endgame is a special movie, and I think we'll be we'll be all talking about this very shortly. But it's definitely, I think the ultimate peak for this franchise at this point, if we even could pick one, right? Is, is it even debatable? I mean, it is the culmination of that vision of bringing everyone together. Literally everyone mm -hmm. is there in that, in that movie, uh, those two movies really. And yeah, it, it's such a special moment. It's such a great payoff for the fans who went along with the journey. And yeah, you hit those great emotional peaks it sets some great groundwork for the future. And yeah, the, the villain is fantastic. The heroes all go get their moments. Yeah, it is definitely peak, 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 peak. Yeah, which like, I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have made anything afterward, but I think it's hard to follow up anything from there, right? Like, what do you do when you've, ultimately achieved your goal of like i want this big crossover event with every single property we've built to date toward this huge story and yeah i think we've kind of seen a little bit of stumbling back and forward from that point but i don't know maybe they'll still be able to recapture it with a few new heroes on the horizon that we're going to be bringing into the fold i think the x-men are going to be the shot in the arm they've been they've been looking for yeah. i think part of the problem in my in my humble opinion, uh, when we mm -hmm. were going through that original lead up of movies to the Avengers and then to Age of Ultron and then to Infinity War and Endgame, all the movies had little nuggets that led into this 
grander storyline. But then after we got through Endgame, we kind of lost that. Like, we don't get our next hint at the big bad. In fact, the first movie after Endgame was Black Widow. And spoiler alert, mm-hmm. we know what happens to Black Widow. So her movie is a bit inconsequential, right? Um, right. And then we have these other, we get new heroes introduced, but we're not seeing a whole lot of crossover. We're not seeing this uh, sinister Thanos type character in the background for quite a while until we get to Kane. Yeah. And they're okay. So we get a little momentum there, but we get through phase four, but it doesn't culminate in an Avengers movie where all the other phases culminated in an Avengers movie. So that all just seems to be kind of sputtering like, okay, where's, but where's it leading to? And um, I'm not sure if this came up in your research too, but also like on the Disney side of it, uh, they brought in a new CEO this guy named Bob Chapek, who might go down as the worst CEO in Disney history. Uh, he was in the job yeah. for like a year or two before he got the boot. And one of one of his dumb mandates was more Marvel, just way more Marvel. And when you lose the preciousness of it, it's a bit easier to be complacent and kind of forget. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like if I don't catch a baseball game, that's fine because there's a hundred and seventy some more left in the season. If I miss a football yeah. game, yikes. Well, there's, you know, not that many left in the season, so I, I better watch it. Right. And there is some course correcting going on where we only get one Marvel movie next year. One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be a big change as opposed to this year we had three and that's kind of been the norm recently. And then on top of that, there's all the TV shows and Kevin Feige or Kevin Feige, as I'm sure his name is actually pronounced as we established <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Uh, he's been pulled in so many different directions. He as you said, Tom, he was the guiding hand in those early stages. And he's just been, you know, it's hard to be the guiding hand when you have to be everywhere and you just can't be. Right. And I think exactly the chickens have come home to roost as far as even the TV side. I mean, they just announced recently they've completely restarted development on Daredevil because like, they were like, okay, the scripts aren't any good. And we saw what happened when we tried to do rewrites at the end of She-Hulk. And like we fell behind in the process to the point where the CGI wasn't even done by the time the show came out. Like, it's like, okay, we clearly need to fix this process. We can't retrofit things at the end. We need to stick to a narrative and, and make sure that's the guiding hand and not like have Kevin's input up front, not out the back. And if it needs to take longer, it needs to take longer. Like that's how you make, that's how you make anything <laughs> as, as far as a visual medium. Yeah. That's how you make literally everything else. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the documentary about the making of South park, but like those guys mm-hmm. work like the week of it. It's almost like a, making a Saturday night live episode where they just work on the writing that week. They record it that week and they have the animators do it all. And you know, they have the talent to make it happen. But there was an episode a few years ago, the the studio got shut down by some power outage and they missed it. They didn't miss the, they didn't make the air date. And, you know, that's one thing for a TV show, but for something like, you know, earlier this year, Ant-Man quantum mania, when the CGI isn't there or like She-Hulk, the series launches and all the CGI isn't ready yet, man, that is a rough way to work. And the, I mean, speaking of chickens coming home to roost, uh, the studios 
behind all the CGI work have started to unionize because they have yep. just this tremendous crunch constantly from Marvel and credit to them. You know, yeah. 90% of the time they do excellent work. They do when they have the time to work on the project. Right. I think we've seen that. And there's, there's something to be said for, I think even looking at something like Loki, which seems like it was in the can for a while and the season two like looked beautiful but it was like it was clear that that was a labor of love and that there was time that they had to work on it where yeah these other things that they're like well we're gonna push the the release up we gotta get this out the door i'm, I'm playing uh hollywood guy with a cigar <laughs> and his hang out of his mouth <laughs> and it's like uh hey this looks like crap <laughs> right and, yeah. and to a certain extent i can look past bad cgi if the story's good but sometimes the story hasn't been hitting. I mean, uh, let's be honest, Ant-Man Quantum Mania. I mean, is it really that great of a story? They use that. No. One of my opinions, one of the worst tropes in storytelling. Tell us what the problem is. Tell us what happened to you. I can't. Okay, but you can tell us about 45 <laughs> minutes down the road, right? Okay, great. I guess we'll just wait. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous i mean oh, I, I i was very upset with ant-man 3 just because i felt like the first two had their very own unique style and it felt like that movie was drained of everything that made ant-man ant-man and that was really too bad yeah it was too much of a, a a teaser trailer for what was to come but but there was that so there was this recent article in variety that kind of was very anxious to write the epitaph of marvel studios and you know, there have been stumbles for sure, but also, I mean, let's be honest, there's also been plenty of good stuff. I mean, Guardians 3 came out this year. Excellent. Marvel's wonderful. Fantastic. Loki season two. Fantastic. I mean, so the stumbles have been loud and noticeable. And I think that's kind of been the big thing uh, when Marvel up until pretty recently has been largely bulletproof. So when you see all these problems and then there's just the knee jerk reaction of Disney. Uh, but to a certain extent, you know, it's probably good to pull back and give some breathing space to these movies and these various franchises to make the fans hungry for it when it does eventually come back. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's it's something it seems like they're starting to get a handle on because, yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about the highs today of the Marvel franchise, but I think they've been taking some licks here recently. You know, they're, they're going through their Star Wars phase of... Uh, having to try and rediscover what works about the franchise again after the whole Ray Skywalker nonsense <laughs> that we had to sit through. Oh boy. I'm, One day we're going to hash it up. If you have a Star Wars episode, I would love to come back. I, I'm, I'm a defender <laughs> of the sequel trilogy, although I admit there are lots of problems with the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I like the prequels <laughs> and the sequel trilogy. I kind of like a lot of Star Wars. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty open on that. You're a good fan, Fred. I appreciate that. I do like what you said, Tom, that like kind of dip, you know, everyone's dumping on them right now. I think they could really use this, what we're doing today, right? They could really use, you know, stay the franchise and do a draft and just really let people know what's really good about Marvel and the MCU. Yeah, remind everybody why we kind of fell all in love with it to begin with, right? And I think it's a perfect segue there, Fred. I'm sure you... <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it we're transitioning I've been thinking about things I've been thinking about things <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so today we are doing a draft of Marvel and the MCU at large. And we we had some we had some preliminary discussions about how we were going to approach this because we had to kind of boil this down so that we wouldn't be talking about you know, 50 different things at a time. And instead, we're going to keep it down to five separate categories. And we're going to talk about the top heroes, the, or I should say, it's our picks for top heroes. So if you're familiar with like our power rankings, it's somewhat similar, but we're doing it five times and in a draft order. (laughs) So we have the category of heroes. We have villains. We have moments, we have movies. Question with the movies, do we want to expand that to include the TV series or should we keep it to just the movies? I leave it to you guys on that one. I say let's do it. Game time decision. We're going with movie slash TV series. I was thinking about adding adding a whole another category with just the TV shows. (laughs) Look, we could be doing... A whole different, like, well, 20 different categories if we wanted. We could be doing the best, like, costumes if we wanted, but... Don't tempt me with a good time. Hey, hey, but that's why we added this last category called the wild card, which can be pretty much anything you want. Like, what are the favorite things about Marvel? Maybe it is, like, I love Captain America's costume because it accentuates America's ass. (laughs) (laughs) And if there's something that's not even strictly mcu but it's a wild card situation you want to make the argument that it's mcu influence it's wild card baby you know state your case i see fred setting himself up for a pick later (laughs) justify it now so fred how should we determine the draft order here um i'll snap my fingers and see who's still here and they'll get to pick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, if I, no, I can't snap my fingers. I don't have the ability. Uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Mm. Uh, well, I, I got this die because uh, I like to play Dungeons oh. and Dragons. So if you trust me to roll a die. I don't, I'm not familiar with die, but I've heard of a chance cube. Oh, I wonder. Oh, I got those somewhere else. Well, I am all for rolling a die. Should we do high number? goes first that sounds right okay this one is for tom this one's for tom okay tom you got a five. okay fred i'll roll for number. you oh fred fred got a two. Ooh. Okay, rolling for me that's i get to hopefully pick twice in a row then i got a six vince oh, got a six that's damn. right though the guest should go first yeah. so our draft order will be Vince, then myself, and then Fred. You will have the wraparound pick. So you pick two in a row when we get to your pick. All right. Okay. So I think the way we will go through this thing, guys, we talked about a couple different options, but we are going to do this like a traditional fantasy sports draft where you can pick either category and you can take your top pick for that. And essentially, these are just things that, like, if you could only keep one thing about the franchise, these would be your picks. So, 
consider your options carefully. Yeah, this isn't like, well, Hulk's actually stronger than Captain America because <laughs> like, I actually just don't know those things. <laughs> quick, quick story. Uh, when we saw the first Avengers, uh, there's that. Uh, I, I hope I'm not stealing a moment from somebody. But uh, when Thor brings the hammer down on Cap's shield and then like it goes rah, 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 in, in the forest, there was some nerd behind us. That couldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Like loud, loud for everyone to hear voices opinion that Mjolnir would be able to overpower the vibranium shield. That's hilarious. Well, at least that's as toxic as the Marvel fandom gets. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get any worse than that. Yep. Everyone's been very respectful. <laughs> well, Vince, um, and then we agreed that if you choose something, even if it's a category crossover item, like let's say a specific character. You cannot pick that thing again. It gets snapped. Yeah. The so. only stipulation I would say is if you pick a character, like say I pick Edward Dorn's in The Incredible Hulk, if I pick the character, you can still pick the movie, correct? Yes. Yes. All right. I just want to be clear. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think that's, that's fair game. <laughs> I love how I keep using that movie as the backboard because I don't think anyone's going to pick anything. But like, that's always the example. <laughs> it's, it's a good example. Kind of true, though. Yeah. All right, Vince, you are on the clock. All right. For the, uh, the first pick of the 2023 MCU draft, I'm going to go to the movie category, and I am selecting Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, coming hot out the gate. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I think Tom Holland is an amazing actor. He's a brilliant Spider-Man. And then bringing together those other actors, br amazing move. Like it was Hollywood's worst kept secret, but it was still such a joy to see them come on screen. And the amazing thing is it was done so well, it didn't feel like a stunt. It wasn't like, oh, come see them all together. They had this great story. It felt like a real coming of age story for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And yeah, to have all those characters come together, just really coalesced in a beautiful story and such a, again, rewarding thing for Spider-Man fans, fans who have seen all those other movies. Uh, I loved it. I loved every second of that movie. So, so good. And it also had the extra butter topping uh, because that was like we were just coming out of COVID. Come see, come to a theater again and see Spider-Man. So like that was a really special moment. Uh, yeah, it, I, man, I, I could watch that movie. Yeah, put me in a desert island with that and I am set. That's a great pick. I think it's great pick because... I do think that movie works well with what it's dealing with, how what it's uh, juggling, but because of what it's juggling has never been done before, it's kind of like critic proof because like you can't say like it's bad or it's because it's like doing its like th own thing so, excuse me, originally, even with the like characters we've seen before. And I thought the best thing about it was it kind of was like, was Andrew Garfield really good as Spider-Man? Like, did we sleep on that? <laughs> like, yeah. I think when we did our Oscar episode, I gave him a best supporting. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do think you, I agree, though, too. Although I will amend you on that, Fred. You said something that's never been done before, but that was the plot of Across the, or Into the Spider-Verse. True, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think when we talk about franchises licking their wounds 
each of those Spider-Men, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, kind of went out on some sour notes with pretty critically panned movies with Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. And it was a really nice chance to kind of give them a little like, you know, uh, come and take a bow. Let's remember the good parts, which is kind of what we're doing today, right? Like come in here, you get to, you know, have a little moment and actually give your your character a good send off for once. And I don't know. It's to the point where, I mean, I'll even make the controversial opinion that do we even need another Tom Holland Spider-Man or is that kind of the ultimate culmination of where he's going? Uh, do we need one? Maybe not because there are a lot of other heroes that deserve some extra time in the sun, but uh, man, do I want to see it? Man, oh man, do I yeah. want to see him again on screen? I think we, I don't know, I want to speak for everyone, but I think we just want like a New York Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, right? Yeah. And not one where Iron Man is kind of overshadowing <laughs> the movie like or, in Homecoming. Or just such a grand scale of the MCU movies. Just kind of something more a little bit in his na- in this neighborhood, you know? Yeah. So I think then I am up next with my pick. I'm going to not keep you guys in the lurch here for too long, nor am I going to stray far from what we were just talking about, because I am going to take Spider-Man as my number one hero. Good pick. J. Jonah Jameson over here. Get me (laughs) Spider-Man. Get me pictures of Spider-Man. That's my, not my, uh, not my best. That was more like Willem Dafoe. List in fifth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Give me pictures of Spider Man for my wall. I was doing more of like a Willem Dafoe than I was like a J.K. Simmons. There, give me pictures of Spider Man. (laughs) Good pick. Good pick. I mean, listen. It's probably partially because I just finished um, Marvel Spider Man Two on PlayStation. And I love that game. I love both those games or all, all three of them, I should say, even the Miles Morales game. Uh, Spider-Man is just such a timeless character. Um, I mean, I also love Batman a lot, but Spider-Man has been my number one with a bullet Marvel character all the time. I've always identified with him. I think Tom Holland does such a great job. I have started to fall in love with the character of Miles Morales. So I kind of feel like if we do get another Tom Holland movie, I would love there to kind of be an opportunity to start handling that mantle down. Yeah. Bring back uh, Charles Gambino, maybe. Is he still in that parking structure? (laughs) No, not even the parking structure. Remember in uh, across the spider verse, he's in that Spider-Man land or whatever, (laughs) or the the building. (laughs) And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I there's just so much to love about Spider-Man. I think he always adds a thrill. I think that was the gut punch at the end of Infinity War when you see Spider-Man turning to dust is like as much as you care about all the characters and like, you know, everybody's great in that movie, but it's like when you see that Spider-Man who is like the the face of Marvel get dusted, it's like, oh shit. The stakes just got raised to like the highest bar here. And just a great entrance into the MCU with being in Civil War. Just really kind of uh, 
I don't think that movie's that bad, Civil War, but I definitely think when he comes in, it's kind of like warming up the elect, you know, the like heart things and just like to the movie a little bit, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. He he steals the the show a little bit because I think everybody was just so stoked to see Spider Man in a Marvel movie. So, yeah, it's a great entrance in that movie, and because that movie is a bit dour, a bit sad, uh, because our our. So some of our favorite heroes are butting heads like he's such a ray of light in that movie. And yeah, Tom Holland is a great performance. And yeah, the, the character on his own, it's amazing costume. Like costume design, I think, is a big key like to the, to the success of a character and great costume design, cool powers and relatable. Right. I mean, you're growing up, you're coming of age. Spider-Man has problems. You have problems. And it's so much easier to connect with somebody like that. So, yeah, he's a very special hero and it's cool in the comic book lore as it grows that he's getting reiterated upon in other successful versions like Miles Morales or uh, the Gwen Stacy spider woman. Uh, just, yeah, it's a solid formula. And, you know, these the spinoff versions feel genuine and unique. They don't feel like ripoffs. It, it's just yeah, it's easily one of the best comic book characters in the history of comics. And he has also a, an amazing rogues gallery, too. Uh, we haven't gotten to the villain category yet, although, Fred, we'll see what you pick. Uh, but, you know, some of the best villains are Spider-Man villains when it comes to the MCU. But we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Indeed, we will. Whoever is going to break the seal on that. And speaking of that, Fred. Speaking of villains. You know, oh. have, people always oh. talk about how um, I love I get two picks. People always talk about how Marvel's got a villain problem. And I say sometimes, you know, but most of all, I like most of them. And I think one of the best ones to come out of the MCU would be Killmonger, which is my number one choice in villains. Um, this is a villain that when you watch the movie, you're like, hmm, I kind of see his side a little bit. I mean, he's not going about <laughs> the best way. But I kind of get what he's going for. Uh, he's super cool design, and it's also like a powerhouse performance by Michael B. Jordan. And it's in a film that I think the key for me to a good Marvel movie is having a strong uh, creative auteur behind it that's not tied to the MCU. So that's, I really like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to like show that hand too much, but I'll just say like, Killmonger is a great example of a villain that is used well. You get what he's doing, and he looks like a badass. What more do you want? Yeah, it's a great pick. I think, and you nailed it too, that like Michael B. Jordan is offering a powerhouse performance, but also, yeah, he's he's compelling. You're kind of like, you yes, you want to see Chadwick Boseman win the day but you almost kind of want to see him find middle ground with Killmonger which is something different where it's like oh you just want them to take down Thanos right like you know it's like he can't be bargained with but it's sort of like hey maybe we can kind of look at Killmonger's side of things and find that and it was interesting because I think I'm not sure if it was in that variety article that you were talking about Vince but I remember reading recently that I think somebody said they did not expect the audience to kind of take the side of Killmonger when the, when the movie came out, which I'm like, how did you miss that? But then again, you watch captain in the, or Falcon and the winter soldier and they expected everybody to take, um, 
Kurt Russell's son, what's his name? Wyatt Russell's side. And I'm like, this guy's a monster. Why would we ever cheer for this guy? Get out of here. <laughs> so I don't think they, they have a good pulse on or a good finger on the pulse of, of what audiences think all the time. Yeah, audiences can surprise you. And yeah, Killmonger is a very well written and realized character because, yeah, there's so many other villains that are just kind of, you know, bad for the sake of being bad. They got their little motivations, which makes sense. But yeah, his character, just feels so much more real with what he is trying to do, the message that he's bringing to the table. And then, yeah, Michael B. Jordan, yeah, as you said, Fred, just knocks it out of the park in that movie. Like he is a really engaging actor. I would love to see him come back in some other form, even though he, he his character died. But uh, I think he, did come back for the what if series and yes. voice Killmonger in one of those. And like, Oh man, he's just, he's a dynamite actor. I hope he gets to do all the things, but uh, yeah, Killmonger is fantastic. I had him on my list uh, as well. Yeah. And a cameo on black Panther too. He was uh, in uh Shuri's vision mm-hmm. when she eat, eats the purple heart. Yeah. Right. Now then I'll go to my second pick just to keep things uh, moving along here. Uh, on the other, you know, you have villains, but you also have heroes. But sometimes those heroes are a little different than your usual heroes. So my number one pick here for heroes is Rocket Raccoon. Ooh. My guy. <laughs> um, a little short angry man who yells. He's wounded. Um, I rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and I think that's like, a top tier, like just MCU, just movie. I'll take it away. Just top tier movie. I liked it the first time I saw it, but I had to like kind of take it in the second time. And I'm like, this is what I want from a Marvel movie. I know it doesn't build on the world because it's wrapping up kind of the Guardians story, but I only need like 20% world building. You can do your big world stuff in your end games, in your Infinity Wars. Just give me a good movie saying alone, and if you can tie a big world together, that's nice too. Um, because I think the thing, and you know, like I said, I didn't read comics. You guys didn't love the comics for the continuity, I don't think, right? Like that was the thing that was not great. So I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think things having to fit super well together is important to me. I'm more important of uh, having really good movies that say something and are entertaining. So Rocket is a guy who I I think Bradley Cooper's really good. Like for just like, you know, like most people could see it as like a paycheck performance, but I think that's one of his best roles is Rocket Raccoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and all most like all three of those movies, you could make the argument are maybe not as much the second one, but one and three are kind of a lot about him, and that's the guy that James Gunn relates to the most. I think it's a guy who kind of gets the things he wants in life, but doesn't know how to react, doesn't know how to act. And I think that can be seen in just James Gunn. Like, like in his relation to working at Marvel, he is Rocket Raccoon. And in that, and with that being said, I think you can feel that in the movie, and that's what makes it the special movie. Well, all three, I should say. Absolutely. I think it's a great pick. I think Rocket is somebody who was underrated through yeah Endgame, Infinity War, and I think just the pairing with him and Thor <laughs> worked randomly well, but it did because I think he just got two people who understood exactly what the moment was calling for at that time. But even, yeah, you said you nailed it in the Guardians movies, one and three especially. I mean, 
he's like, I mean, he, he it ultimately becomes his team and it should because he's really kind of the heart and soul as much as they put Chris Pratt front and center on these posters, right? Like, but it's, it, it's possibly, and I think that's maybe the gift that James Gunn was given too, is to find a way to give every character in a story their moment in the sun and make them equally important. But you definitely do see him like he clearly loves raccoon or rocket. And yeah, we, we see it up and down. I love it. Yeah. And that, that's a good pick. And, um, you know, credit to the visual effects teams that made rocket come to life. He feels so good and all those. And I think it's Sean Gunn who actually played rocket on set. It's like, that's an extra Correct. cool feature. Like, so the other actors had something to interact with. So credit there. Yeah. And then, yeah, again, Bradley Cooper, nails the role he brings so much to it and yeah you guys said all the things i I agree rocket's fantastic no i'm glad you brought up sean gunn because that was the only other thing i was gonna say like it can't all just be heaps of praise for bradley cooper i think that performance is a lot of sean gunn it's two people for sure and yeah they brought him to life and it's great to the point where yeah they've even put sean gunn in the, the second and third movie right like it's pretty awesome So I think for my next pick, you highlighted the dynamic between heroes and villains, Fred. And Marvel does have a little bit of a villain problem, which makes me feel like I kind of need to take a villain here because there's not going to be a ton to pick from. And there's been some great performances, but somebody who's always bringing it up and down the board all the way back to phase one. You got to go Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I mean, he he got his own series after his character died because people loved that character so much. I don't think Avengers 1 works half as good if he's not the villain in that. I don't know that Thor 2 or 3 necessarily relied on him because Thor 2's garbage, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think we kind of felt his absence in the fourth one. And I think that's part of the reason it didn't work quite as well as three did because you, you need that foil to Chris Hemsworth and somebody who can be sort of the dry, that dry British wit. You almost need that. And I think we see that in the Loki series and they found a good counterpoint to him with Owen Wilson, who is <laughs> extremely underrated just in that series in general. But yeah, I mean, you can't. You just can't have a, a villain category without Loki in that. And I think people forget how good he is in the first Avengers. I think you know he has to like kind of share a lot of screen time in other movies other than the Loki show where he's good. I've only seen season one. I'm excited to watch season two, but uh, I think he's really good in the first Avengers. He's very good. Oh yeah, for sure. He he makes that movie this one of the you know one of the reasons why that movie is such a big big success. And Tom Hiddleston is fantastic. Uh, he auditioned for Thor originally and it's hard to imagine him being Thor but man oh man are we lucky that he got cast as Loki and yeah the career that he's gone on to lead with that character the life that he's given that character post you know original Avengers and Tom you're absolutely right I you know I don't hate on uh, Thor Love and Thunder but I think that movie is lacking because of Loki you know he helps elevate uh, Thor's character and without him you, you miss him you really do uh, but yeah he's he's fantastic and everything we get to see him in and it's heartbreaking in Infinity War when he dies 
because like, you know, we talked about, you know, when Spider-Man gets dusted, that elevates the stakes when a character like Loki bites it in like the first five minutes of the movie. Oh boy, you know, you're in for some, some serious stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Loki's a great pick. That was an announcement. Yeah. Definitely by Marvel of like, don't get attached to anybody. We're at the end game here nah, before it became the <laughs> end game. But you know, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm in the end of Sopranos right now, just as a related thing. And it's like, you're really starting to get to the point where you're like, Oh, anybody can go now. This is, this is the end. <laughs> but Vince, I think we throw it back to you then for your next pick. We are back to me. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my villain list and I'm going to pull the trigger on one green goblin is who I'm, Taken here for my number two pick, uh, Green Goblin. Uh, I can't pick him because he actually is in the MCU now. Uh, he becomes that villain uh, of that movie. Willem Dafoe is such an amazing actor. Uh, y- you want to root for him. Like he, his performance pulls you in. Like you want to like him. You were like, oh, please be good. Please, please just be good. And then when he goes evil, it's like, oh God, he's just the worst. And he puts up such an amazing fight against Spider-Man. Uh, he, he's a, a great foil for, for that character. His power set is a good dynamic. And uh, the, the, just the, the knife that he wields into the Spider-Man lore, um, whether it's the, um, original ones with Tobey Maguire or now the new stuff with Tom Holland. Uh, man, he is a very, very threatening villain because we love our Spider-Man, but you know, Green Goblin's bringing the pain uh, to an emotional level. So he's a, a very scary villain in that way. Back to formula. <laughs> the hot Norman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, arguably then if you make that case, Vince, that Spider-Man, Tony Tobey Maguire's first Spider-Man, he could be theoretically the first MCU supervillain? I think you can make that argument for sure. Because we've established that it's canon that the Sony universe is part of, well, the Sony universe. Our Andrew Garfield is also in that universe. Sure but uh, So I guess Sony one universe. <laughs> I don't know. I forgot what, what numbers or letters they gave to each other. They assigned to each Spider-Man, but it's a great pick. I think, uh, I mean, Willem Dafoe on his own. He's a, he's a treasure. Anything he did. A Wisconsinite, too. Yeah. So, obviously, big. Apple pen. Right? <laughs> he's up there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he comes from up in Appleton. <laughs> Vince, Spider-Man 2000 and whatever. Thanksgiving movie, question mark? I would say sure. Oh, yes. Why not? Yes. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, Green Goblin, excellent pick. He's He crushes it. So then Vince picks again? Correct. I do. Uh, and then I'm going to shift on over to the hero category because I don't have anyone over there yet. And I'm going with uh, our OG MCU hero, Iron Man. Uh, ooh, man, Good Robert pick. Downey Good Jr., pick. great pick. Such an amazing actor for that role. And just the mascot for the MCU for, you know, all those phases and the the costume again, amazing costume design. The, it, one of my favorite parts of Iron Man three was you get to see all of those Iron Man suits and they all just look so, so good. Um, I think my favorite one would be the suit that he wears in Age of Ultron. Uh, not my favorite MCU movie, but my favorite iteration of the Iron Man costume shows up in that one. But uh, yeah, his journey from, you know, 
billionaire playboy philanthropist. I can't say that word. You know what I'm trying to say. You know the quote. Uh, to you know, becoming the guy who saves New York, who throws his life on the line in sacrifice at uh, in Endgame, and then you know he becomes a father figure to Peter in throughout it as well. All the wives that he touches throughout the MCU, he's a uh, man such an integral character, and maybe to a certain extent, like. Uh, so there was also talk about maybe bringing back some of the original Avengers for future movies, which I hope they don't do as much as I love Iron Man, as much as I love Robert Downey Jr. I hope they let him rest uh, because, you know, they told a story beautifully. His story has been told. It's sad that it's over, but it's a good story. So again, Iron Man is my number three pick. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. I think, in that way, a great story in itself for, because that was really a reclamation project for him as a person. Like Robert Downey Jr. struggled with drug addiction for years. Couldn't land, you know, anything big. Obviously he had a couple bounce back projects, but still it was like he looking for that big thing. And I was thinking of a quote recently because Jeremy Allen White uh, from the bear, everybody, everybody knows the bear, right? You know, <laughs> and he was saying that I don't remember when, Marvel or superhero movies became the culmination of somebody's career, became the peak of your career. And I was like, well, I think Robert Downey Jr. kind of moved that because you had a Academy Award nominated actor taking on the role of like this superhero and it kind of redefined it. I think maybe you could even go back a few years earlier with Christian Bale taking on uh, Batman, but still I think you get Robert Downey Jr. and he's just putting this like absolute you know, powerhouse performance and not just in Iron Man one, which I think, I mean, he's absolutely amazing in that, but throughout however on many other movies, he made an appearance in what was it, upwards of 10. <laughs> and it's just, he's always bringing the same energy. He's bringing the same character. He's got it a whole arc. And yeah, you're right. Tony Stark just is, he was a linchpin to this. I mean, he launched the whole thing and then it was like, yeah, it only made sense that, his story ended the way it did and that he was the guy to, as Captain America said, right? Like you're not the guy who's going to lay on the wire, right? Like he's like, no, I'm going to guy who's going to cut it. And ultimately he is the guy that <laughs> lays on the wire. So it's, it's a beautiful character. I think can't go wrong at all with that pick. Is that back to me then? Yeah, it's back to you. Man in the middle. Uh, all right. I think what I'm going to do since we haven't talked about a lot of movies yet, I'm going to jump to the movie category here. And I'm going to take with the the second movie off the board here. It's about to get nasty in here. I can feel it. I think I'm going to go with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Ooh, very nice. Okay. And as much as I agree with your comments from before, Fred, about Volume 3... And it's a, I think it's a, a better movie than anybody even gave it credit for at the time. I think volume one was such a powerhouse and we keep using that, that term, but <laughs> I think it's, it, it was just a, a coup de force of like how to bring obscure properties that really nobody knew about to screen unless you were an avid comic book reader. And it was kind of like James Gunn announcing, like, I not only know this property, I not only care a lot about this property but it's like i understand what this property is about like why this works and him 
putting that, I just remember watching the trailer for that movie and being like, are you kidding me? We have Vin Diesel as a tree? Like, what is this? <laughs> and then you watch it and you're like, this thing is amazing. Killer soundtrack, just needle drops that always hit like every piece of you. You're like, oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, I've listened to the hell out of all those movie soundtracks, but something about that first one, just from the moment you get in and Redbone like drops, you're just like, okay. We're in for an absolute roller coaster ride. And it's still as fun today as it was then. I mean, just excellent casting up and down. The group works all together so well. It's just it's it's an all timer. Yeah, it's a very special movie because up until that point, you we've had characters that you know, comic book fans obviously knew, but even the general public had some kind of passing. Oh yeah, Captain America. Okay. But Guardians? Boy. I didn't know who the hell the Guardians of the Galaxy were, and I'm sure there were plenty of people in the same boat, but man, oh man, <laughs> did they make you love the Guardians of the Galaxy by the end of that movie. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. It's like the casting's great. It has such a unique feel to all the movies that came prior to it at that point in the MCU series. Uh, yeah, casting gets nailed. The the It's so much fun, too. It has a sense of humor that is at once in line with the MCU, but also unique because it has James Gunn's voice, which is quite unique uh, to, you know, film. And it's just so good and fun. When we flash forward to Infinity War and when the Guardians pop up on screen, it's just at the right time because shit has gone down at that point. And it's just a nice, oh, I get to have some fun with the Guardians for a little bit before things get terrible again. Yeah, great pick, and that, that yeah. first movie is fantastic. It's a good pick. So I'm I'm gonna break open another category for us, and you'll kind of figure out what I did with my wild card category. Uh, I'm gonna take Wandavision in wild card because we, you know, we didn't really discuss how we were gonna approach the TV series, but I'm gonna take that right away because I think this is what I wanted from a Marvel television show which is, you know, bringing back characters, telling a a tight story, telling an inventive story, but also it does set things up for future films and future uh, properties. Now, it probably should have happened after um, uh, Doctor Strange 2. I think that might have made sense a little bit more with her arc and like how that ended up with her being the villain. But overall, I think that's an excellent series. I love how it plays with the format of television through the decades. And I love both of those actors, um, Elizabeth Olsen and uh, Bettany, Paul Bettany. Yeah, love them Paul both. Bettany, yeah. And I, that got me so excited for what the potential of a Marvel television show could be. And that will be my wild card for that pick. That's good a pick. good one. I would argue that 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 show was almost solely responsible for the sour reactions to Multiverse of Madness, because I think so many people were against Scarlet Witch just becoming this villain there, and you're like this is not the same character that we were like pulling for and felt bad for in that whole show. Right. I think if they could have somehow made the story where she becomes villainous, 
you have the multiverse of madness and that ending causes her to create the WandaVision universe in her head. That would have been the proper order of things um, for narrative, you know, and character stuff. But I think I can take them separate. I love both of those movies. Um, probably love multiverse of madness more than most people, but that's cause I'm just here, you know, I'm kind of here for the Raimi business, you know? Oh, of course. Um, Anyone else want to say anything about WandaVision? Yeah, I, I loved it too. Yeah, I think it's a really clever idea it, that plays with our, our heroes. And yeah, I agree. It sets things up for us to fall in love with this character that we've only had glimpses of up until that point, really. And then to turn her into just not just a villain, but this monstrous, wildly bad person. Uh, that was hard for me to swallow. But uh, the show is fantastic. I love the show, and you're right. It sets up a lot of uh, neat things that get paid off in later series and movies. Uh, but yeah, that's one that is fun to revisit. I've watched WandaVision a few times just for just for funsies. Mm-hmm. I'd like to yeah. rewatch that. Yeah, the styles of the shows on there. I mean, you can't say enough about it. Just from I Love Lucy to like the Brady Bunch stuff, it was just great. I just love they they did like Modern Family even like it was funny. <laughs> yeah, although the Malcolm in the Middle, I I felt like that right. was like I didn't know I needed that until they made that one, and I was like, oh, this really hit. <laughs> All right, so for my next pick, I'm gonna swing back to movies. I'm mixing things up. I had like an order of like urgency, but I'm mixing up because I'm getting nervous based on your guys' pick so far. Uh, I'm going to pick Iron Man 3 as one of my movies. Whoa. Um, I feel like that might be our first upset pick. <laughs> I had it on my yeah, list. You go Iron ahead. Man you talk 3. about it. Uh, I, I won't talk too much. I just think it slept on it. It's one of these examples of what I like in a Marvel movie, which is an auteur bringing a vision to the Marvel Universe and it playing within the world that's set. And it's Shane Black doing Shane Black stuff. It's Christmas. And... It's got a deep bench of actors. I think Rebecca Hall kind of got screwed over. I think she was supposed to be the main villain, but she's still pretty great in it. Um, Guy Pierce, uh, James Badge Dale is just like killing. I love James Badge Dale in any movie. Whenever I see him, I do the Leo point. Um, and I think John Favreau is really funny. I think it's a smarter movie than people give it credit for. Like it's about like him uh, or him Iron Man struggling with like uh, post-traumatic stress from the Avengers movie pretty much. And like the movie starting with the Eiffel 65 song blue is just one of the great things. Cause it's funny, but it's also what the movie's about and it's got great action when he brings all those suits to play. Oh, it's, it's good times. And my, one of my favorite jokes is when happy's in the hospital um, uh, Tony has Downton Abbey on the TV and he says he likes it because it, it, it makes him uh, what does he say makes him feel classy or something like that he thinks it's sophisticated or something like that <laughs> I think it's a really good slept on movie so that's my choice Iron Man 3 yeah we get a lot of great character growth out of Tony in that one and uh, there's great moments for Pepper Potts in that as well we see a lot of growth between those two characters having that movie and yeah, Iron Man 2 was a letdown, so it was nice to have something more focused on the character, 
And the villain is such a nice contrast because Iron Man is all technology and the villain is all like organic futurism. It's like that was a neat idea to play with as well. Uh, and yeah, that that final sequence is so much fun. And then we look forward to Endgame. There's that one like weird lanky teenager guy who's at Tony's funeral. And everyone's like, who's that guy? <laughs> it was the little kid from Iron Man 3 that uh, Tony befriends. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's great. I love Iron Man 3 as well. I had it on my list. Great pick. No notes. <laughs> uh, last thing I would say, it's got a pretty deep bench. I forgot. It's one of the last, like, Miguel Fierro, I think that's his name, films. The bald guy from RoboCop. Like, when I rewatched this week, I was like, I can't believe he's in this. Uh, and uh, Sadler, uh, death in Bogus Journey is the president, I believe. Yep, sure is. In 3. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's just got, it's got people. And, you know, I love that, Tom. I love a deep bench of, like, people. I'm like, oh, it's, it's one of those guys. <laughs> but you didn't even bring up Ben Kingsley in that. I know, I know. Which is my one, I think, not to knock it. Because I actually do think Iron Man 3 is an underrated movie. I think there's there's a lot of fun. I do think it played with a lot of ideas, though, and kind of had a little bit of trouble juggling some of that. And one of them was, like, trying to wedge in the Mandarin as sort of a bait-and-switch. And I think one of the problems it had for me, at least, was that Ben Kingsley was almost too good <laughs> in that role. And just like he's so menacing that it's almost kind of a letdown when you're like, it wasn't him. But like, look at him. He's just <laughs> chewing the scenery. And then I mean, the, the character of Trevor is kind of fun. I think on the surface, it's like when you can get Ben Kingsley to go and do just some like, you know, like bloke from England or something like that. It's just a, a fun idea. But I don't know. I, I was also like, I was like, oh, but it's just such a missed opportunity to make him somebody like really menacing and kind of like a worthy opponent. Or maybe he could just outsmart Tony by not having to use technology. Just sort of like I can kind of zig where you zag. But that being said, uh, I will move on to my next pick then. And I'm going to still hold off on a, a couple other things that I wanted to get to. And make a return to the villain category. Mm, again, I, I, I'm seeing the inefficiency here, and I'm very afraid that I'm going to lose my villain picks as this goes on. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with my next one, and I'm going to pick the purple man from Jessica Jones, Mr. David Tennant. <laughs> Vince <laughs> looks so <laughs> upset. So I had upset. him. I had him too. He's a great. You you talk. You talk. You picked him. You pick. You go. I, I want to hear your thoughts because obviously, as a as a former doctor, it's something I know that you you have a lot on. But that first season of Jessica Jones was so good. That was one of the after Daredevil season one. I was like with Jessica Jones season one, I'm like, Oh my God, these TV series are going to really work for Netflix. I am in, I will watch all of these to a fault. <laughs> I think got sucked in, but when tenant shows up and just how menacing he is and just sort of how manipulative he is. And he's just like doing this masterful work as this villain. I was like, Whoa, okay. That's, that's what a good villain can be. And it's just like he's such a good foil in her story, too, in the way that he manipulates her. It's a very interesting power. It's such a uh, a good metaphor 
yeah, I don't know. I just, I loved him in it. I thought it was, it was just great. It was a, a wonderful performance and it's one that not enough people still talk about. Yeah. Agree. David Tennant is a phenomenal actor and he's such a brilliant pick, uh, for like, as far as casting goes, uh, he's really fun to watch him just work because as a doctor who fan, as I'm sure a lot of people were when Jessica Jones was dropping on Netflix, you're so used to seeing him as this nice heroic character. And then to see him play this villain. Oh boy. That was some delicious acting on his part. And yeah, you're right. The, the, the metaphor of what his villain really is, is very disturbing. Uh, and I think the show handles it really well, but yeah, it's, it's a unique power mm-hmm. set. It's uh it's, it's a power that's scary. And that's one of the reasons why I picked him too. Similar to green goblin. He's, he's scary. You know, he's not just bad for the sake of bad. He's, like, boy, imagine if that person was in your life doing that to you or someone that you knew. Man, that it's just terrifying. So, yeah, he's great villain, uh, you know, to the extent that, that those Netflix shows are part of the MCU. I, I don't know, probably more or less in, in some fashion. Uh, but, yeah, Kilgrave is a great villain. Good pick. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just. And for people who don't remember or didn't see Jessica Jones, his idea, his whole power is that he can control your actions by just like speaking into existence. Like he tells you to do something. It's like Simon says, and then you have to do it. And it's just, oh, it's truly terrifying. I think any character that's like a puppet master really gets to me. So. I think we're on to you then Vince we right are. Uh, I'm going to dip back into the movie category and since no one has taken it yet I would be remiss if I didn't take Endgame there it is uh, we, we've, we've talked about it a lot already uh, it's it, it's such a different feeling movie from Infinity War and it needs to be right like you know right off the bat five years later and the world feels different. Everything uh, you see a lot of growth from all of our characters. You know, Tony has a daughter. Uh, Hulk becomes Professor Hulk, which is really fun to see. And then we get this nice build and then celebration of the series up until that point, literally going back to some of the highlights uh, of previous films. And there's other side characters like Nebula has a really great storyline in, in that movie as well. It's great to see her grow and then literally encounter her past self. Uh, it's, it's just so good. And then of course the final moment uh, on your left and then they all appear. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I won't get into too much because someone might have a moment because there's so many moments in, in, in end game. So I don't want to dip into anyone's, uh, you know, ink wells quite yet, but uh, I'll just say, yeah, end game. Fantastic. It, it, it's, it's great. Yeah. I was just going to throw out if there was ever like, a, it's probably got the most victory laps in a movie. <laughs> like, and that's a good thing. Like, and they all work. So it's great. I don't know. Does it have Chewbacca getting a medal though, that he didn't get in the first movie? <laughs> <laughs> I always pick on that because that, that was about the point where I think I, I threw back my head and like, are you kidding me <laughs> for, for Rise of Skywalker? I'm talking about, fan service. That's what the fans but, want. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, I know. I think you're, you're absolutely right, Fred. And I mean, that's an 
amazing pick, Vince. I think I'm almost surprised Endgame wasn't the first one off the board because it is just we talked about it at the top of the the episode. It's the the ultimate culmination of what this whole experiment with the MCU was. And I think we even said it too. The Guardian's DNA is so well ingrained that we made Nebula like a main character and we really cared about her story. And I think, again, a credit to Doctor Who as well for finding these amazing actors. And Karen Gillan just was a, a tour de force on this Outstanding, thing. yeah. Yeah. All right, Vince, you got another pick oh, up. Oh, boy. I, uh, I still have plenty of heroes to pick from, but I am also feeling the pinch in my villain category. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, he who remains for my uh, number five pick, my second villain pick, he who remains. Uh, he is in Fred, as you've seen in that last episode of season one of Loki and man, just terrific. Now preface here, Jonathan majors has been accused of doing bad things and will, there's a very good chance that he won't be playing that character anymore. That said, uh, another character who, in my opinion, is scary. Uh, and without getting into too much spoiler territory, because Fred, you haven't watched season two yet. No, no. Okay. Yet. Uh, he is, his power is very manipulative, very scary. Uh, and just the fact that he built the TVA and it's just this oppressive bureaucratic regime. It's a very interesting story that he's given and such a great counterpoint to uh, Loki and Sylvie. Uh, like we don't get to see a whole lot of him, but man, oh man, is he scary and such a terrific performance in that final scene in that it's like, man, you, you get sucked in and I am there for it. So I don't necessarily need to see Jonathan majors reprise that performance, but I do like to see that character or some version of that character continue on in the MCU. Yeah, it stinks we don't have Christopher Plummer around anymore just to insert in problematic roles. <laughs> I mean, they do do a lot with technology in these Marvel movies, but... <laughs> just try to imagine Christopher Plummer being like, I am king. <laughs> it's good. What you did there it was could... great. I'm glad we're recording. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh i know i it's really too bad about jonathan majors it's actually it's kind of heartbreaking that it's it does feel like a waste of talent because he is excellent even in season two he's excellent but it's just yeah it's just really i mean i think it comes with the thing i think people have talked about it like with a lot of great talent there's a lot of power and the ability to abuse that power and some people do it kind of a theme in Marvel itself. Indeed. You would say. So I think that gets yes, to me then. Yes, sir. Okay. I am going to, Hmm. <laughs> I feel like I should jump back to the movies. Cause you guys have started to take some pretty good properties. <laughs> and on, on the, uh, the, the note of some good villains in, in a movie. I do think I have to go back to one we talked about already and go with Black Panther and take that movie because to, to what Fred's been saying, getting a no tour in there, 
really you see somebody bring a unique take and it feels like every time you watch the movie Black Panther, you really see the layers of what he was doing throughout it. I mean, Ryan Coogler himself is just an excellent filmmaker. You can see he has a very good grasp on the story. He has a passion for the story he's telling. I think it's something he did carry on in Black Panther 2. I have actually have a lot of love for that movie. I think it just... There was something that he was able to capture, even in the spirit without Chadwick Boseman in it, that it was great. But that first movie, you got a powerhouse performance. I know I've said that word many times, but out of Chadwick Boseman, uh, you have an amazing counterpoint in Killmonger, a very compelling villain. You have an excellent supporting cast. It's like a, a, a murderer's row of just awesome names in there, including Angela Bassett, who obviously got... Her Academy nomination for Black Panther 2, which really felt like the whole body of work from what she was doing in the first movie to the second one, carrying right. on this legacy of being the the matriarch of this this kingdom. And and it's just you it's hard to find a hole in the way that story is told. I mean, all the way down to even like uh, freaking Lupita Nyong'o, like it's like she's like maybe the fifth person you'll mention in the movie, and she's doing just yeoman's work, as, mm-hmm. you know, as a um as Nakia. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's just it's such a fantastic movie. It looks beautiful. It holds up so well. There's so much like political commentary that's thrown throughout it, and I don't know. It, it was just a it, it was a rightful, I think best picture nomination that some people at the time felt was a little pandering. And I think that's total bullshit. I think it's, it's an excellent movie. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I switched out black Panther was going to be my original last pick, but I switched it for Iron Man three. So I took that from Vince, but then I ended up losing the black Panther and that's what the draft's all about. Baby <laughs> Vince, do you need I'm, I'm happy anything you got to say about black say Panther? That. Good. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a great movie. I caught it on a, a drive-in movie too, which I, it was a fun way to watch it too. It was a double feature with Iron Man. Cool. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Fred? Or yeah, you're up next. Yeah. I'm What's up your next, next pick? Um. All right. So pretty much all my like what I was worried about getting take is gone. So it's a little more play, but I think this one might be a tough one. Let's take another movie off the board. I'm going to take Thor Ragnarok. Um, now, I feel like we kind of live in a like world where the, the Taiki, Taika Waititi thing uh, is kind of, um, it's kind of lost its shine a little bit. Like, I feel people aren't in love with it after Thor 4. And just, I don't know, I just feel like there was kind of an over, there was just over, there was too much Taika Waititi stuff at one point, you know? But, there was nothing like going to see Ragnarok. This is one of the few MCU, movie, MCU movies I saw twice. And it pretty much takes a character that was a little wooden, you know? Like, they kind of... The Thor wasn't super figured out at this point, And they figured out, oh, well, what if he was, like, funny? And, like, what if he was kind of dumb, but, like, still kind of had those heroic qualities? And it works. I mean, you have... It also looks beautiful. Like, it's got great coloring. It looks like a heavy metal music video or something. Like, or, like, a van you see with, like, 
a naked lady and a dragon or something. Looks like that. It's got a great music. Uh, you got Jeff Goldblum coming in, just like shooting threes. Um, yeah, I think this this was something different, and I was like, this is again a auteur bringing their voice to the MCU, but still working within the world of the MCU. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, Ragnarok was on my list of potential gets, and it, it's an amazing movie, arguably one of the best in uh, all of the MCU. So I think that's why. Love and Thunder gets a bit of flack because people walked in like, oh, this is going to be like Ragnarok. And to a certain extent it was, but it wasn't as good as Ragnarok, let's be honest. But I think people were too hard on it because it wasn't Ragnarok 2. I'm not sure what people wanted, but I think people were upset about it. Right. But it, it, it was Taika Watiti up and down. Uh, we got a different story out of it, which I appreciated. But I mean, we're talking about Ragnarok here. It, it, yeah, it's so good. It brings the life out of uh, Chris Hemsworth. It's like people realized, oh yeah, this guy can be funny and the movie should be fun. And talk about course correcting from Thor Dark World, which made the classic Hollywood mistake. Oh, we got to go dark. Let's make it dark. <laughs> okay. I guess we'll make it not fun also in the process. And sure enough, there you go. But uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they made the right course correction. They got a fun director in there. They made it funny, but they still had stakes built into it. It, it was a serious threat. You know, we lose uh, Valhalla in that movie, you know, you know, there's, we lose Odin in that movie. Uh, we lose Renee. What's her face in that movie? Thor's mom. No, she died in two. Mm-hmm. Renee oh, she died in two. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my heart goes on, uh, but we had, uh, Hela. Uh, you, you feel her death in Ragnarok though. What's that? Yeah. You feel the death in Ragnarok. Absolutely. Because, yeah, he, he's an orphan by the end of the movie. Um, but, yeah, then we get uh, Kate, not not Beckinsale. Who, who am I thinking of? Blanchett. Blanchett. Blanchett, thank you. Man, what an amazing get. Uh, I mean, so not all the villains in the MCU are great, as we're finding out, but the actors they bring in, good God, are they amazing. And Kate is so amazing in that role. Uh, love her in that. Yeah. Ragnarok is fantastic for all the reasons that Fred said. Yeah. Really let everybody rip. And I think even Anthony Hopkins, you can tell he's having way more fun in that movie, especially when he's like playing as Tom Hiddleston disguised as Odin, like just (laughs) living in it. Oh yeah. Excellent pick though. I mean, it it is a staple. I think, yeah. To Vince's point too, you, you were like, what did people expect as a follow-up to Ragnarok? How do you follow up Ragnarok? It's the same question we're asking about Endgame right now. How do you follow up that movie? Like, it's just, it's it's hard. When you make an excellent, like, top-tier movie, it's hard to go above that when you've, you've set the bar so high. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say about Ragnarok is it's the best brothers dynamic you get, I think, of all the films with Loki and Thor. Some people don't like how goofy Loki is in it, but I think that's fine. You know, it's the movie, you know? It's very much on par. I think like that's a, I don't know, they're reaching a little bit in my my opinion. And they also move the Hulk storyline forward in that movie too. And it, it doesn't feel distracting. It's well integrated into, into the plot. Yeah. Good. It was a good crossover performance. Good Ruffalo, just oh, yeah. Ruffalo all throughout. He's great. He's friend from work. Um, so for my next pick, I'm going to go back to heroes. Let's see. I've taken one hero and I have two more. 
I am going to go with this is a this is a risk. I'm gonna go with Hulk. I'm gonna take um gonna take Ruffalo. And it's definitely one of those picks. Like Hulk isn't my favorite character, but I really like what they've done with him. And I love Mark Ruffalo as an actor. So it's definitely one of like the movie side of me is making this pick because it is someone who's coming in, bringing their uh, expertise, but also not, like, w- being winky about it. You know, like, they are committing. So I'll just say that Hulk is my hero pick there. Another Wisconsinite. Mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo, Pride of Kenosha. <laughs> He's so good, though. I feel like you p- could have put Norton in there, and obviously he would have done his Ed Norton thing, and it probably would have gelled in some way. But it felt like Ruffalo had the chemistry with all the other actors that really made all the Avengers movies sing. And it would have been interesting to see the Incredible Hulk with him because I think he does bring that character to life. And the Hulk is, he's he's nothing if not the the anchor, literally, of that team, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, I, I enjoyed yeah. the Incredible Hulk with Norton, uh, but... Yeah, when you see Ruffalo show up in Avengers, like, yeah, you know right away, this is my guy. I'm here for him. And he, he delivers great performance. And, yeah, whether he's Bruce or whether he's the Hulk, you're you're there for him. He's He is so great. And then when he turns into Professor Hulk, even better. So good. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm also going to go with a hero for my next pick. And it's somebody who you could have potentially slid into the villain category at one no. point. And I'm going to take Nebula. And for all the reasons I said before on Endgame, I think she steals the show in that movie. I think she steals the show in Guardians 2. I think she kind of even steals the show a little bit in Guardians 3. She has an excellent gag with trying to open the door on the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just uh, an excellent use of the F-bomb, which I'm not always like, oh, yeah, he swore. But it just was it's like so shocking when you hear it the first time. <laughs> it was well executed for sure. It, it's just a, a well-placed usage. Um, but I'll save that for the moments in case somebody wants to use that. And uh, I don't know. I think when you get Karen Gillan, you wonder, again, you have all these actors like Chris Evans. You have, you know. Tony or Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark and you have Scarlett Johansson a lot of people that get a lot of Academy Award recognition or people who are these A-listers of A-listers and she's punching right up to their weight level and maybe even a little above it at times and she's slathered caked in makeup like it's just she's just out there having to do these weird like robotic jerks with her head and stuff and like acting like her body is not really her own and yet she's still giving this deep emotional performance. And it's like I could watch a whole other series of movies with Nebula in it. I think she's just she's just great in it. It's Karen Gillan just announcing that she could be a A-lister as soon as some other studio really wants to give her the job. It was on my list. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good pick. Uh, yeah, she knocks it out of the park in every uh, movie that she's in and also a special shout out uh, for the what if series uh, yes. where it's like what if uh, T'Challa became Star-Lord uh, to see her performance of Nebula in that alternate reality is so cool as well 
And I'm sure there were lots of tear jerk moments in Guardians 3. The one for me was when Nebula starts to dance at the end because like that really like helped crystallize that she has grown and matured and found peace with herself and is a a new, a new person in a really special way. So yeah, yeah. Karen Gillan is great. And yeah, that's a wonderful pick for hero. Yeah. Oh, very good. Back to you then Vince for your next pick. Back to me. I'm going to stick with the guardians as well for my hero. And I will be taking star Lord for uh, my sixth pick. Uh, you, You need the anchor in that movie to make it work. And Pratt delivers. Uh, he's so fun in that first movie. He brings the heart uh, with, with his mom in that final scene. Uh, he, he's so great. And I love the words that James Gunn gives him and the way he delivers uh, in Guardians 3. He just does not care about the high evolutionary who is trying to give his great speech of his vision. Like, I don't care. You hurt my friend. Screw you. Get out of here. Uh, he's, he's such a different hero that we've, that we've seen. Like they're all, a lot of Marvel heroes are kind of smart Alex, but he has a special tone, all his own, uh, which is great. Um, he gets some powers in guardians too, but he's largely powerless, but he doesn't feel that way. He's a integral part of the team. He's fun. Yeah, I love Star-Lord. How can you not? Yeah. Very, very good performance. Yeah, I think this is like just great execution of what Chris Pratt can do. I think we've kind of seen that he can be like ill cast and things, but he is kind of terrific when he's cast well. And this was the role that was made for him. I do laugh at like, do you know what the original casting choices were for Star-Lord? No. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, who, yeah, that's the face I'd make, <laughs> would have been fine. He would have been fine. Uh, he turned it down. The other choice that was floating around was Glenn Howerton. Ooh. Could be interesting. <laughs> now, I interesting. think Chris Pratt was the way to go, but, man, that would have been something to see. That's a what if right there. Yeah, that really is. That's like uh, Eric Stoltz, Back to the Future kind of stuff we're talking there. Definitely a darker take. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we're back to my other pick then. Uh, And I'm going to shift gears because I still like the things I have in play for some of those other categories. I'm going to shift on down to moments. We haven't had a moment pick yet. And for my number one moment, I'm going to go with the Avengers Assemble moment in the first Avengers film. When they're all together, Hulk shows up and the camera pans around all of our heroes as they look up towards the skies. Uh, Great cinematography there. It, you know, they are finally coalesced as the Avengers in that moment. The music swells up. It's just a great piece. I still get giddy watching that moment all these years later. That is a wonderful moment. Just, and it's the moment that's like basically, yeah. Like, I feel like every other thing that has a team up is trying to emulate that going around that circle. Right. And like, it's, it's the perfect announcement of like the Avengers are here and literally they're assembling. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, And it was the thing that, uh, uh, Whedon did in both of those Avengers movies, which was kind of recreating like the splash page look 
Um, and I think that kind of reminded me of that, like this big picture of all these heroes that like the few times I flipped through a comic book and you'd see these big spreads, you could just look for hours, like, and see all these things. And it was kind of doing that. I think he has like two of them in Ultron, but that first one in Avengers where it's circling around is definitely like setting the stage. And I wish they did more of those in later films. They didn't really, they kind of like Endgame has a few moments like that, but I wish just more like, Let's make a big spectacle shot and like show you that. I just really like that. Yeah, that was a good pick, Vince. So for my next one, I'm going to also go with a moment because I feel like now we're kind of getting to that point. And I really, I mean, it's so hard not to pick the moment where Captain America wields Mjolnir in Endgame and you see the hammer hit somebody. You know Thor is under duress, so he didn't throw it. So you're like, who did that? The hammer's flying back. He catches it. And I felt like that's one of the last times I was in a theater, and I remember the whole theater just erupting in applause and yelling and cheer. It was a true, like, geeking out moment for fans all throughout the theater. Just a, a staple of what Endgame was all about. Just like Fred said, victory laps all throughout. Nice. Well, uh, I guess we'll go to me then. I'll pick a moment as well. Um, I am going to go with from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when Yondu and Rocket break out of jail. I think this is Ooh. one of the best uh, needle drop action scenes in a whole all of Marvel. I think this is the best action scene that James Gunn has done for the Marvel movies. Then that's all I really got to say about it. It's excellent. Great song choice, great visuals, and people are dying left and right. It's kind of crazy that it's in this movie. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's a great pick. <laughs> and I'll double up. This is something no one's going to pick, but I think people hate it on this, but I thought it was freaking awesome. Doctor Strange versus Evil Doctor Strange, the Philharmonic. I think this is Raimi just cooking, just cooking. I think it's great. I love the visuals. This is what I want to see in the movie. I hate pre-vis Marvel action. It's one of my big problems with the end of Black Panther. I think that looks junky, and it has great action scenes up until that point. But uh, that scene in Multiverse of Madness is my second moment I would choose. Yeah. That's a good pick, though, Fred. I really like that one. Um, and, yeah, I think we're going to just kind of pace up a little bit here just to let know for the, the listening audience since we're, we're running a little long. But uh, but for my next pick, I'm going to go um, down to the wild card because there is something I did want to give a little bit of a nod to. And he's not necessarily a hero. He's not necessarily a villain. He's not necessarily anything. He's just sort of your your old reliable. He's your kind of like tour guide of sorts. He's, let me say it this way. He's really got a lot of heart, you know? And I'm going for Mobius and Loki. I think he's just mm -hmm. a, <laughs> a, a tried and true supporting character in the, the absolute truest sense of the word. Owen Wilson as Mobius in Loki. Great pick. That was a good pick. Uh, we'll take it up to me. I will pick my last movie and I'm going to go with the most recent entry in the Marvel franchise, the Marvels. Uh, I love Captain Marvel. It's the comic book that I do keep up with. Um, cause you can go broke keeping up with too many comics. I loved it. I had so much fun with it. I can't wait to see all those characters get back together again for the next time, whatever, or whatever that happens to be. But yeah, 
I personally loved it. It's great. I could watch it a thousand times. I won't, but I could. Uh, and then shifting. So that fills up all my movies. I got no more picks there. I'm going to go with another moment then. And I'm going to go with the, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, in Avengers Endgame when Peter comes back and him and Tony Stark hug, uh, cause Peter's just so happy and Tony starts to tear up a little bit. It's just so heartwarming. It made me tear up too. Ah, uh, I'm getting teary right now. Uh, that's, that's a great moment when Tony and Peter reunite in Endgame. That is a good pick. Nice. And I think Marvel's is a fun movie. People really should give it a shot. I, I think it's, it's getting too much hate out there right now. Um, I will go back to moments. This is a really random one, but it's, it's a quote that kind of sticks in like just rent free in my head. And it's such a weird pick too, but it's Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce <laughs> and his dying moments. And he says, hail Hydra. And I just remember reading an article and they're like, what other movie franchise can get a powerhouse like, and I don't know I've said that word a hundred times now, but this like rush about Rushmore actor to be on the ground and see a, a line as ridiculous as hail Hydra. It's like Clint Eastwood saying, may the force be with you or something like that. <laughs> like it's just, and I think it was just such a, a capper and a, a very underrated movie, the, the winter soldier, but it's it's a it's a great performance out of Redford, and then it's just like this like thing of like holy shit, did we really just get him in this? <laughs> yeah, nice. great great stuff. <laughs> I, I'll see your Hail Hydra wild card and raise you a wild card of Gary Shandling saying Hail Hydra, <laughs> and just <laughs> Gary Shandling in a Marvel movie in general is pretty great. <laughs> Oh, Iron I, Man. Hail <laughs> <Hail> Hydra. <laughs> All right. And I then um, I'm going to follow that up quickly with my last hero spot. And this is, you know, people could say it's a tricky one, but I'm going to say he dies a hero. Yondu. Yondu is my guy. He is the secret heart of the Guardians movies. It doesn't show that in the beginning, but. He really brings a lot to two. He even has a small moment where he appears in three, and it's like almost like I'm getting chills thinking about when he appears to Sean Gunn. It's a great shot. I would like to also add his teeth in. He's got great teeth in that. Um, yeah, great great hero villain, great um, way of killing people with his arrow, and cool mohawk. So there you go. Those are my choices. Mary Poppins, y'all. Hell yeah. He got little hands for thieving. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm going to go with my last villain then, because there's one other villain who now showed up in the Marvel Disney Plus series. That would be Mr. Kingpin. Nice. I love Vincent D'Onofrio. Just in general, I think he's just an excellent actor. He's always doing interesting characters, but you can tell he's putting every bone, muscle, blood cell into Kingpin. And it's just, it's the type of character, like, you, you're glad he's back. You want to see him around. I want to see him interact with Tom Holland, especially now that we've really kind of reestablished the whole Kingpin-Spider-Man uh, rivalry. And 
yeah, I, I he's just excellent in Hawkeye, Daredevil, and I, I can't wait to see him in Echo and more. Yeah, very good pick. Love it. Um, let's see, which category am I going to go to next? Um, moment. I'll use my last moment here, and I will use that for uh, the first Guardians movie. When they all unite, they're holding the Power Stone. They're about to vanquish Ronan, and he asks, who are you? And he says, you said it yourself, bitch. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy. So great. It's just a great nephew to the villain. Music swells and he disintegrates. Love it. So, so, do, so damn good. And very in line with everything in that movie. Love it. Such a cool moment, especially right after the dance off too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. The dance off could be part of that for sure. Um, so good. Okay. So I got, okay. So I got all my moments. I got all my movies. Uh, I guess I'll close up my villains here and I will go with Agatha Harkness. Uh, nice. Oh yeah. She's a delightful villain. Catherine Hahn is so great. You, you don't suspect her at first, but then when it happens, it's like, Oh yeah, it just makes way too much sense for it to be anyone else. And yeah, she's great. She's delightful. Um, I'm not sure if I'm super excited for the Agatha Harkness TV show that they're going to come out with, but I mean, who knows? I'll, I'll give it a shot for sure. But yeah, she, I think she's a really fantastic villain to especially put up against Wanda. Why not? Yeah, no, she's a she's a great pick. And Han, yeah, she's just always bringing the heat. So I'm sure even if the show is not amazing, she'll still be a plus. Uh, I'm going to finish out my hero category then. And my last pick guy, I, I, I'm really glad did not slip through the cracks. Drax the Destroyer. Hell yeah, I think. <laughs> Batista steals the show in every single Guardians movie, even in Endgame, Infinity War. He has, well, I'm more in Infinity War. He's not really in Endgame, but just has some of the best one-liners in the whole series. I think you could probably build a whole list of moments just out of him alone. And, but just, <laughs> I don't know, just him kind of like calling like, uh, what's her name? Mantis, just like an idiot or <laughs> stupid all the time i don't know why it's just it's so mean but you still can't help but laugh because it's just his delivery <laughs> he's 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 just even it i mean it launched his career i think we we don't have batista and all this other great stuff without this show role nice well i think i still have two villains left so i think i'm gonna knock them out um Ooh. i was thinking about elon musk because he's an iron man too but um <laughs> i'm <laughs> I'm going to go with Michael Keaton as the vulture kind of playing like a Trumper, like who's trying to kill Spider-Man. And he has that, you know, he's just really great. And then he's bringing the Michael Keaton heat and he's just another one of I'm rounding out the spotlight cast as best I can. I should have gotten Slattery in there at some point. I could have asked. <laughs> but then I'm going to end it. And here's an unconventional choice. Bad movie, but I think kind of a good villain. Justin Hammer, Sam Rockwell. Again, I'm kind of just pulling from guys that I like, but he's doing the Sam Rockwell thing. He's fast talking. He's kind of a jerk, and he dances. He does all the things you want on your Sam Rockwell bingo card, and him and Mickey Rourke are kind of hilarious together. Like when he takes the drone head and he gives it to his assistant, he's like, "Can you put that on your head? Does that fit?" I, I think I don't think that's gonna fit. You know, like he's just <laughs> hilarious. He's got the tan on his hands. He's like shitty uh, Stark, and it's great. That's 
that's such a good pick. I mean, I love the pick though too of of Vulture. Spider Man. <laughs> Just the way he's uh he is bringing that heat. Um I'm going to go back to movies and finish out my movie run here and I'm going to go with Infinity War. I think as good as Endgame is, it's not as it's not anything without its setup and I think Infinity War is also a movie with a god of great moments for a lot of the newer heroes as much as the uh, end game is a victory lap for like the OG Avengers. And yeah, I, I just think you get to see a lot of great chemistry blossom and it's really too bad. We haven't seen a lot of that same chemistry come to the surface in some recent films and hopefully they can kind of rediscover it, but it's, it's just a, an all time movie. I mean, it, it really set the tone that snap that you can't say enough about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent pick. Absolutely. Um, I think I'll close out my heroes here with my next pick. And I love Captain Marvel. She's my favorite comic book hero, but this is about the MCU we're talking here. So in, in that respect, I have to give my last hero pick to Thor, God of Thunder. Uh, you know, we, we talked about him a lot. He's so great in all those movies. He His character grows so much. They allow him to expand and you know, he's not necessarily done. We could definitely still see Thor in movies or series to come. Uh, and I kind of hope we do. Uh, yeah, he's so fun. Love Thor. Okay. So those are my heroes. And now I got my wild cards. I got three, three wild cards to play with here. And my first wild card, I'm giving up to the Mac and cheese scene between Yelena and Kate in the Hawkeye series, uh, (laughs) man, uh, Florence Pugh is such a delight. I cannot wait to see more of her. Uh, the way she says Kate Bishop in that scene, uh, Haley Steinfeld is is a delight as well. And that scene, there's so much tension and humor in it. it. It's just a really great scene between those two fantastic actors. Love it. Yeah. I mean, the dynamic between Hawkeye and Black Widow was very important to Avengers. And I feel like they found two very worthy successors for the young Avengers team. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Great pick. Also, can't say enough about Chris Hemsworth, especially in Infinity War. I feel like that's really where he got that and Ragnarok were his tour de force. Just definitely awesome stuff. Um, so I've got one moment left to play with, and my moment, last moment, I'm gonna pick is uh definitely gonna have to be <laughs> uh keep going back to Guardians, but I love that series so much. It's the We Are Groot, like the the only thing he says differently and just shielding everybody as they're about to, to get destroyed. And you see just the pain and rocket after Groot sacrifices himself in that movie. And it's always so wonderful when we see that little baby Groot comes to be, but it's such a powerful moment in a movie where you're like, Oh, they've come together here. They're actually going to fight this together. And it's, it's such a, it's a, it's a wonderful moment in a series filled with great sacrifices. That's a great, great pick. Um, let's keep the Guardians theme going. I'm going to do my wild card and then my last movie. Uh, my wild card is the Guardians of the Chris- Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. I thought this was lovely. I thought it was a good time. I am going to rewatch it this Christmas. That is a good sign of a Christmas special. Um, it's part of the new holiday my- canon for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then for my final movie pick, I'm going to pick Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. 
That is probably my favorite of the three. I love all three, but um, I love the father-son stuff. Like I said, I really like Rocket and Yondu in that movie, and um, I think it's got some of the best action set pieces of the three films. Yeah. He might have been your father, but he ain't your daddy. Yep. That that <laughs> whole thing is just great for me. It's, it's about dads. Yeah. It's great. Um. I have, oh, wait, do you have, no, you, okay, yeah, you got one pick left. Okay, so I'm going to go with my last wild card pick. And I guess what, I'm going to just throw this out there because why the hell not? Andrew Garfield in No Way Home, just oh, yeah. everything about him. And I just think we needed to to remember that we, ha- we had a king that was the, the proper successor we didn't give him great material, and it was a reminder of what he can do when he's given great material. So just give it up for the amazing Spider-Man. Beautiful. Okay, and that'll take it to me for my last two picks here, which are both wild cards. And uh, the first one I will hand out here is to Sean Shi, specifically the bus fight sequence. Oh, yes. Early on in the film... A lot of it is done practically, uh, but then they incorporate a lot of the special effects blue screen as well because they're not, you know, on a literal bus moving down San Francisco. But the fighting sequence, so well choreographed, so well performed by Simu Liu and just, man, energetic. Uh, The end of the film is a bit of a letdown because it's all just CGI monsters, but that fight sequence, brilliant. And we haven't seen a lot of expertly choreographed and executed fight sequences like that in the MCU. But that one is beautiful. Wonderful. And that takes me to my final pick here. And I'm going to give that over to the one and only Jimmy Woo, AKA Randall Park, uh, who we've seen in Ant-Man two and in WandaVision. Uh, Such a great character. I hope he gets to be akin to our next Phil Coulson moving forward. Randall Park is a fantastic, very funny actor. And Jimmy Woo is a really neat character to play with. He's fascinated by all the heroes. Uh, He just brings a really cool energy to the screen. That's great pick. Great. The bus was on my list for moments. I love that bus scene. Um, No, yeah, I think that that's. That whole fight was awesome. I forgot I had a wildcard spot left. <laughs> Good for me. I'm going to pick the snap because where where are we if we don't have a cultural reference like the snap? I think it's something so big. It was a shocking moment in that movie, Infinity War. I already picked it as one of my movies, but I think everybody refer. I can't even refer to it right, where they finally have ditched this idea of it being the blip. It's the snap. And... <laughs> It's it's just iconic. It was, it was a total MacGuffin with the the Infinity Stones that led to just this absolute stunner of an ending. Mm-hmm. So, so I have one more moment, right? My last thing. You have one more moment. Um. So yeah, I literally was gonna take the bus uh, fight scene, but um, it's kind of repeat. But that's where we're at this point. I'm gonna say Michael Keaton confronting Spider Man in the car. Just the turnaround and just the intensity. that That's probably one of the best. Mo- yep. <laughs> Vince just did a great recreation of it. I loved it. <laughs> Very good. Very good stuff. So that gets us to the end of our drafts, you guys. 
Um, Does Fred have one more wild card though? Oh, he does. You're right. Oh, Fred, God. you have one yeah. last pick. Um. Uh. Oh. Huh. Yeah, we kind of said about it. Say it again. The Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One soundtrack. I'm just gonna pick the whole soundtrack just because. I think people can argue which ones they like the best, but I think the one really set the tempo eh, eh, of like what we want from those soundtracks. Nice. It's a great pick. So that will get us to the end of the draft, but sorry, I cut you off there. Cause that's, I love that soundtrack so much. It's, it's got such a, a group of bangers. Um, do we want to go from top to bottom and just relist what our, our tire draft, team is vince if you want to go down your list here for us again oh sure uh for my heroes i have iron man star lord and thor uh in my villain category i had green goblin he who remains and agatha harkness for my moments i had the avengers assembling in the first avengers film and then for my second moment i had a spider-man and iron man reuniting in endgame and the Guardians uh, announcing that they are indeed the Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch, <laughs> in, uh, for that one. Uh, for my movies, I had Spider-Man No Way Home, Avengers Endgame, and The Marvels. For my wildcard slots, I had the mac and cheese scene between Yelena and Kate, the bus fight scene in Shang-Chi, and Jimmy Woo. <laughs> Excellent not bad, picks. Not a bad stack there, I gotta say. That's a pretty strong roster. I'm happy with what I was able to walk away with. This was a pretty cordial draft, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody's pretty happy with what they got. Um, My heroes were Spider-Man, Nebula, and Drax. My villains are Loki, Kilgrave, a.k.a. the Purple Man, and Kingpin. My moments were Captain America wielding Mjolnir. Robert Redford uttering Hail Hydra and the We Are Groot moment from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. My movies then were Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, <laughs> Black Panther, and Avengers Infinity War. And then my wildcard picks were Mobius from Loki, played by Owen Wilson, Amazing Spider-Man, just Andrew Garfield doing his, his thing, and then The Snap from Infinity War. What you got, Fred? Uh, did you read that wild card one correctly? Yeah. To me, it looked like you picked Morbius. Morbius. Um, oh, you guy. <laughs> so for <laughs> for my picks, uh, my heroes, I've got Rocket Raccoon, Hulk, and Yondu. For my villains, I've got Killmonger, Vulture, and Justin Hammer. Uh, for moments, I've got Doctor Strange versus Evil Strange, a.k.a. the Philhar Magic. Uh, moment two, I have uh, Gary Shandling saying, Hail Hydra. And then moment three, <laughs> I have Vulture Spider-Man confrontation in the car. Uh, for my movies, I have Iron Man 3, Thor Ragnarok, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And for wild card, I have WandaVision. Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas Special and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 Soundtrack. Fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think you can be upset with either roster, no matter what you have. I think I'd happily trade with both of you guys with this. Mm -hmm. Um, Now now we got to go write our own team-up movies with our roster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I think we could have done, I think, a hundred other moments. There's so many to talk about that we didn't even get to, but I think this was a great cut above the rest. And unfortunately, it does bring us to the end of our episode. Vince, thanks again for being on. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to promote or plug? Oh, uh, well, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, very pleased to be back on the show. So much fun. Uh, last time talking about Doctor Who. This time talking about uh, the MCU. Uh, the big thing I've going on in my life to promote is uh, I do improv at a theater here in Milwaukee called the Interchange Theater. Uh, you can check out the interchangetheater.com. If you ever find yourself in Milwaukee, come check out a show. And that's kind of the big thing. And then if I'm not doing that, I'm doing stuff with uh, the family. We got basketball, dance, and swim, and tutoring, and going to school. Uh, so that's <laughs> kind of what's going on in my life right now. But uh, yeah, again, uh, I love this. was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you joining. And I mean, it's always a pleasure to have you. I think we have talked about doing many, many things. So hopefully this will not be the last. I think I would love to do this draft idea again, Fred. What do you think? Yeah, I think it worked out good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Anything that you want to plug for yourself? You can find me on my couch this weekend eating Thanksgiving leftovers or perhaps <laughs> seeing maybe Marvels. But honestly, I might have to catch Napoleon before it leaves theater. I'm hoping that Miss Marvels is going to have legs for a little bit. <laughs> the Napoleon movie seems like such a weird sequel to Napoleon Dynamite, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it's shown in the read... screen X right now. Oh, <laughs> fancy. Ooh. I definitely read a thing earlier where someone's like, I hope they don't cut out the part where Pill and Ted come and kidnap. <laughs> Tom, you want to plug anything for the podcast? I mean, you know all about us now. We are on Facebook, X slash Twitter. Uh, Instagram, YouTube. You can find us on there, State of the Franchise with Tom and Fred. Uh, we are also um, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You're probably listening on one of those platforms right now. You can email us at State of the Franchise Podcast at gmail.com. You can find all that information in our link tree, which is a link inside of our. Uh, episode description so take a peek in there make sure to leave us a review and don't forget to rate us we would love to be at the top of those charts at some some point in the future here and stay tuned for next time where we'll be talking about disney theme parks it's a small world after all fred and it's always a pleasure to have you on here (laughs) wonder if i caught you guys snoozing thanks again for being on vince Yeah, I'm sorry. I I had to do it. But yeah, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. It's charged my phone drive with some men too. It's worth the talk.